Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Laura Downey, who is the executive editor at WebMD. Laura and I connected on LinkedIn, like who doesn't these days, right? And uh, we found we have a shared passion for giving back to others. She's also a well-established journalist and has a fantastic career journey to walk us through today. Plus, I'm honored that she's able to share her journey on MLK Day. So welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's been, uh, we've been back and forth for a while. And, um, you know, I just kind of looked at some of your, uh, your background, and certainly with WebMD, you know, we, we uh, dealt with some COVID issues last month. And so you were, you're gracious enough to send us a few links and kind of check up on us. So I really appreciate it. So, so yeah, let's get started with the podcast. So tell me a little bit about where you got started. What's your background? And where were you raised? Oh, yeah, for sure. So raised in West Palm Beach, Florida. And I could honestly say my path to journalism started in high school. I took a class and it happened to be the newspaper class. And I was just learning so much, you know, about deadlines and taking photos and story writing. And I was really, really intrigued by that. And um, I think it was like the first level, the first entry level into the buildup of the program. And so mm-hmm. then level two, um, which I thought was going to be the next phase of newspaper, ended up being yearbook. And I was like, I don't really want to take this yearbook class. I'm really loving this newspaper thing. And I thought, talked to a couple people, talked to the yearbook advisor, and I ended up taking the yearbook class and loved it. And I just continued to build on some of the things that I was learning at that time. Um, but still at that moment, wasn't even thinking about long-term future and what I wanted to do, you know, um, at that age, but, um, I took it and then I, I ended up becoming the editor of my high school yearbook. And I think from there, it, it all just came together. Yeah. Were you, so as, um, as a grade school student, were you, um, a voracious reader? Did you like to, um, to write even at a young age? You know, I read a little, but I wrote more. Yeah young age. Mm -hmm. And I remember writing a short story once and asking my dad to read it. And he came back to me and he said, Laura, this is great. And he was like, you should be a writer, you know, and I'm a a kid at that point. And I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, okay, dad, whatever. It's just a short story, you know? And um, little did I know he was like literally speaking into my existence, what my future would entail. Yeah. It's amazing how insightful parents are. And how they they kind of know you know what talents and what skills that their their children you know maybe have some potential in and or can excel at so that's great were there um, were there some avenues that you were able to do even in you know even before high school to uh, sort of advance your your writing experience or really did it all start to come together in high school? No, it really started to come together in high school, and I started realizing that I had a passion for it um, when you know we weren't able to finish certain things. Um, in in our classroom environment. And I didn't have a computer at home growing up. And so I would take the little Apple box. You remember those um, computers back in (laughs) the day? Yeah. Put it in the trunk of my car and I take it home, put it on the dining room table. And as my mom was preparing dinner, I would pull it out and start writing captions and finishing up things from the day. And then, um, this, this would be, I guess, a little bit later because I was also playing basketball in high school. And so I would do everything after basketball practice. And, and as I sat at the table, I just realized how much I was enjoying putting these captions together and looking at the overall flow of the yearbook. And um, then I would pack it up 
and in the morning go back to school, plug it back in in school, you know, but you just mm-hmm. start, you just start developing and realizing, I like this. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of the, uh, just the ability to tell a story or to frame it in a way that kind of gives the audience some insight to what's going on. Was that some of the things that, that started to formulate for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then to be able um, to connect with the individual and to connect with the audience, you know, knowing that you're going to put out this big product at the end of the year and people, you know, um, are curious and you have the ability to help share other people's stories. And I think that's what was so powerful to me. Yeah. And it's interesting that you not only were you part of the school paper, which tells a story through print and through words, but part of the yearbook as well, where you could actually incorporate photos and some sort of a visual to tell the story as well. Did you have a preference one versus the other, or did you sort of see them as complementary? I definitely saw them as complementary. I definitely saw that. Um, you know, back then though, for me, it was more about the words. The words mm-hmm. tell the story, and then you have the photo that goes along with it. Now, I think they are both equal, and even maybe even more so due to people not having time, they're just looking at photos. Um, That's a really good point too, because I think we're all sort of um, we're all partially ADD at this point with cell phones and everything else, right? And so sometimes yeah. a visual image. Can, I mean, look at Instagram and how popular that is, right? So, it, and an image can capture somebody and quickly be able to either stop them or give them you know, some insight to what's going on that you can then read um, a little bit further. So it's great to have sort of that both, both sort of eyes for that, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So you play basketball as well. Were you a, um, uh, a sports fan? And did you tell me a little bit about what you got out of sports um, in high school? You know, it's so funny. Um, <clears throat> my sister's two years older than me and she's about six feet tall and she never played sports and I'm only five, seven and a half. And I remember <laughs> she was about to graduate from high school and I only hung out with her and her friends because I've always been such an introverted, shy kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there one day when we were about to have lunch and she says that her and her friends are talking about graduating. And I, all that comes across my mind is when my sister and her friends graduate, I'm going to have no friends. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I will be in the 11th grade. And then when I was walking to the bus one day, I saw a sign that said basketball tryouts this weekend. And I was like, I got to I got to join the basketball team. That's how I'll make friends. (laughs) I went out and met the girls. And, you know, that was literally the first time I picked up a basketball in the 11th grade. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. Ever since then, I. I, I love my jump shot. I think I definitely have a great jump shot. Uh, I play a uh, small forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, my mom and I started watching. That's when the Bulls were in their heyday. We would watch basketball games together. And my mom, who is um, from Trinidad in the West Indies, she never grew up watching sports. And so that was also a way for us to connect. And mm-hmm. um, uh, we, 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 I essentially grew up then playing the game and having my mom watch it. And it was, it was great, a great way to, to cultivate our relationship. That's awesome. That's awesome. And for you starting so late, um, I know there's, you know, you probably had teammates and certainly opponents that had been playing since they were three or four years old. Did you, um, did you embrace kind of your coach's uh, insight and were you kind of a coachable student of the game? 
You know, I definitely was because I was absorbing everything. I didn't know anything. And I remember even going to get my shots and they were all sizing me up, you know, like, (laughs) have you played before? And, and what, you know, what's your position and, and, and all these things. And honestly, I had no idea because I had never played. And I was just thinking, why are they being mean? Like, why, you know, why are they asking (laughs) me all these questions? But I will honestly tell you, I am 43 now. I have been playing basketball ever since then. And it is one of the great tools and ways to get to meet people and interact. And so mm-hmm. if, if, if you're possibly thinking of, should I join this team? Just do it. Because literally every city I've lived in, I've played on a basketball team. And it's a way, you know, you're, you're competitive. You get to have fun. You get to mm-hmm. meet people. And you learn a lot about yourself. So for me, it just ended up being a blessing in disguise. That is an amazing story that because there's not a whole lot of sports you can really be able to play well into your 30s and 40s. And the social aspect of it, I think a lot of people don't really think about is like either I'm not the star on the team or I don't have the fundamentals or it's frustrating or whatever the case is. But all those other intangibles help you to keep really playing the game, whatever sport it might be, long beyond after you graduate high school or college or whatever. That's that's a great story to tell. Well, that's exactly right. It, it, it definitely, I was not the star, <laughs> but uh, I definitely made, made some really good friends along the way. And I even still play now and I've made great friends. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So that's one thing I would always just say to people is try yeah, because you just never know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. I, um, you know, I came from, uh, you know, watching sports with my dad growing up. And so I'm, I've always been a huge sports fan and I'm a terrible athlete. So, um, you know, I, I played baseball growing up, wasn't very good. And, um, you know, it's, you sort of understand a little bit about how all the pieces of a team, you know, come together. There are the stars, you know, there are people that are doing really well, but you know, you still got to field nine people on a baseball team or five on a basketball team or 11 on a football team and you can't play by yourself. And so, you know, you, you do learn a lot of life lessons through that, that I think you can certainly carry into school as well as professional life. And I think, you know, sports is a great teacher for a lot of different aspects around hard work, motivation, and, you know, like I said, teamwork. And, you know, even if you're not a star, and so I I would see improvements here and there that I would notice and say, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm pretty good at that. And, you know, I actually became um, a pretty decent runner. I was, I was short, I was skinny. Um, I didn't do any sort of track or anything in high school. And on a whim, a buddy of mine's like, we should run the Peachtree Road Race, which is a 10K here in Atlanta. I'm like, do we want to do that? That sounds really yeah. painful, you know? And so yeah. he was going in the army. He needed to, to uh, train for, you know, just PT and, you know, getting fit. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And so ran the first one, did pretty decent and uh, ran three or four more. And um, actually was pretty decent. I mean, I had like my fastest time was like a 41 or 42 minutes for a 10K. I'm like, where was this idea when I was in high school? I could have joined track and never did. And so I think to your point, even if you aren't good, just get out there and try it. Try different things and see what works because you never know what might resonate. And, you know, here you are. You're playing basketball 30 years after that, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's a great story. So you're you're in high school. You're doing all these fun things. You really kind of, you know, looking at your passion and see that. What were you thinking beyond high school? You know, I have another story for you, Paul. I actually was not even thinking beyond high school. Um, Where I grew up in West Palm, some some kids were going to, to college and then others were just staying around. And I just wanted to stay around because 
my mom didn't go to college and my dad, um, he had a few courses to finish in like community college, but he never did. So, you know, I didn't grow up with that um, Huxtable, so to speak, lifestyle where I saw my parents go to school and then, you know, become doctors or attorneys and things of that nature. Yeah. So I, I just kept saying, I just want to be a, a grocery store bagger at Publix. Literally, that's what I was saying. Wow. And um, a young lady in high school in my yearbook class came up to me and asked me what schools I was applying to. And I was like, I'm not going to college. And she was like, you're so smart. You're in like, you know, the honor society and things of that nature. And she was like, you should apply to school. And I was like, I'm not. And so she said to me, I will fill out all of your applications for college. All you have to do is give me the information and the money for the applications and I'll send them all for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I was like, really? So I went home and I told my mom and she was like, tell her what she needs to know. And here's the money. I think at the time it was like 20 bucks an application. Mm -hmm. So we filled out, I think about five of them. She sent them all off and I'll even be tell you the truth, Paul. I didn't even know what school she sent them to. Um, I just gave her the information. That's how much I was so disconnected from that. Yeah. Then And sometimes it takes, you know, uh, just a mentor that, you know, you never realized was there or cared about you to do something like that. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. So, so what happened next? Well, the applications came back. I was accepted. They were, it was pretty much all the Florida schools, you know, um, Florida State and um, Florida Atlantic University and things of that nature. And so I told my mom and, and my mom was like, pick one. You're going to college, you know, and um, I was I, we did a little back and forth. And then I ended up picking Florida State because it was the furthest away from West Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, all right, you want me to go to school? I'm going to go to school. And literally, that's how it happened. A classmate filled out my application forms. Wow. Yeah. That's and sometimes that's what it takes, you know, just a little bit of divine intervention and, um, you know, just um, right place, right time talking to the right person, you know. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, okay. I understand. I was born and raised in Fort Lauderdale. So I know what growing up, you know, on the Gold Coast, you know, you're so far from even another state. So the idea of kind of getting out of South Florida and seeing a different part of the state and experiencing new things, I can definitely understand that. That's right. So, um, so Florida State, uh, it's in the capital, Tallahassee, um, pretty big school. So coming from any high school to, uh, to a college like that is certainly an adjustment. Um, and you probably didn't know anybody in Tallahassee either. Is that a fair assumption? That is a fair assumption. I knew no one. <laughs> I went yep. into this thing, you know, I got a dorm room and it was like, hey, you don't have to listen to anybody. You can, just, <laughs> you can go to class if you want to, or you don't have to. And, and that was interesting for me because I had never had that freedom before. Mm -hmm. So um, I just... I wasn't even sure about a choice of a major at that time either. Um, I just kind of went in and was taking these, you know, general classes that you take as a freshman and a sophomore. Yep. And then um, finally, right before my my junior year, I got a letter that said, "Miss Downey, you have to pick a major. And uh, <laughs> I thought, I don't know what to do. And so my dad was in law enforcement. And so he said, you know, do criminal justice. And my mom always said, well, you, you should go into education. Everyone always needs a teacher. And so um, I looked, I wanted to be a private investigator. I thought I, I did a good job spying on my girlfriend's boyfriends. <laughs> 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 I, said, I said, that's what I'll do. And then I realized how little 
PIs made um, yeah. when starting out. And so then I said, okay, I don't want to do that. And I took, I took one education course and I was bored out of my mind. And I said, this is not what I want to do. And then I thought, what's the only thing you know that you love, that you've been doing? And it was journalism, but I had ran away from it in college because I got tired of people missing their deadlines and me always having to clean up their slack. Mm. And so I, I, that's why I was like not even thinking journalism. But then I finally said, okay, that's what it is. But Florida State did not offer a journalism program. At really? The time. Yeah. They offered a program called Communication for Business, which is no longer um, there. But mm. so I went into Communication for Business and then um, I took a minor in journalism at Florida A&M University. Okay. So they did like a... I don't know what they would call it, dual enrollment or um, some sort of, you could take classes at one and get credit for it at the other. That's exactly right. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think it was my senior year. I took the four classes needed for the minor at FAMU. Okay. So um, now you were, were you still kind of doing writing on the side as a, as a passion or what were some activities that you were doing at FSU? You know, I did. I, I, I feel like I was writing my class papers, but it wasn't like I was, I didn't, I didn't join the, the, the newspaper or the, you know, I didn't do any of those things. Um, when I got to working on my minor at FAMU, that's probably when I started doing things like um, working for the Tallahassee Magazine. And I think at that time it was called Family Forum Magazine. And I was doing things to get into the magazine realm. And um, that's when I was like, okay, this is really cool. I, I like this, you know, yeah. um, being a part of a staff and just kind of, you're, you're kind of growing up, you're learning, you know, yeah. as these people are really going to work every day and you're like the intern. Um, but, you know, I, I took those positions with no pay, and I know some people would have not done that, but I think that's also a great way to get your foot in the door, is to just take things without getting paid and learn, because you get to learn from from the pros, so to speak. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. It's almost like, um, you know, you think about taking a college class, you're not getting paid for that, right? You're paying somebody, and okay. you're getting some experience and exposure to a professor or to... Um, you know, things that the college may have to offer labs or other things. Right. So it's almost an extension of your education, even though it is unpaid. It's, it's, so, and it's hard because some, some industries just generally do that. And, you know, mass media communications, you know, radio, TV, all those things are usually unpaid, which you're like, how do they do that? You know, and others are paying, you know, ridiculous amounts for college students to come in and work for 10 weeks. It's, it's, uh, it's not quite fair, but it's, it's kind of the game, isn't it? That's right. It sure is. You know. So were you, yeah. Um, so, um, and so at FSU, did you, um, did you join a sorority? Did you do any um, sports there or intramurals or clubs or anything else? Um, yeah. Another funny story. I, <laughs> I, my dad called one day and he said, you know, you should try to play FSU basketball. And um I was like, dad, I think they already have their team. And he was like, no, you should go out. So I went and it was like six of us tried to be walk-ons uh -huh. and we practiced for about, I think it was a total of two and a half hours. And I had never had a practice that hard in my life. Yeah. Um, and after about, I'd say after about those, those about two hours, 
the coach walked over, put us all in the huddle and said, thanks ladies for coming out, but I already have my team. And we were like, what? You just made us run for how long? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think I was discouraged at that point. And um, I thought, gosh, you know, I knew I wasn't, like I told you earlier, the star player, but I thought I had a chance. Mm-hmm. And um, so we didn't and we all left. And then um, the next year, the, the coach got fired and my dad called again and he said, did you hear the coach is gone? You should you should try out again. And um, I said, no, dad, because I then I started seeing the way Florida State work their athletes. And um, I thought that's really intense. So at that point, I started meeting meeting friends and um, a young lady had spoken to me about joining Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started getting interested in that and meeting new people. And so that's what I, that's the path I ended up going on. But then um, one of the, my sorority sisters, she played intramurals and she told me to come out one day. And so I did. And then I ended up playing intramurals. So I kind of feel like I ended up with the best of both worlds. You know, I could still yeah. play for fun and not be so strict on sports like Florida State has their athletes. Um mm-hmm. And then I was still learning in school and then meeting friends through the sorority. That's great. And it's, um, you know, that's a, that's a nice for someone who's so far from home to kind of have, you know, a a group of friends that you feel like you're a part of. And, you know, you have, um, you know, a home almost that, that you can do different things. Did you get involved in any activities with the sorority? Yeah, we used to do a lot. We used to host like seminars and um, parties and educational awareness things. Mm -hmm. And I think it was nice because you start forming into your own as you know, as you start learning more about what you can do and um, what might be a strong suit and a strength for you and and what's what maybe is a weakness and you were like, okay, maybe I want to work on this or maybe I don't, but I want to build more strengths. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for me, that was a great opportunity to just kind of um, see myself grow, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. the sorority did amazing things. And what I love about it is it's a lifelong sorority. As a matter of fact, I just got together with my sorority sisters on Friday night from college days years ago. Um, so you just build friendships. And then it's also a great way because just say, hey, you're looking for a job and they see your sorority on LinkedIn or on your resume. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, oh, wait a minute. You know, and then that's actually how I got um, connected with my internship at Southern Progress Corporation years ago when it was owned by Time Inc. Uh, a lady who came to Florida A&M to recruit she saw AKA on my resume and she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm an AKA. Uh-huh. We hit it off. She turned my resume in. And the next thing you know, about a week or so later, I had five interviews lined up at, at um, Southern progress corporation. And then I ended up picking because the company and the, the professionals there picked who they wanted as their one, two, and three. And then I was able to pick. And then I ended up picking Southern accents magazine. That's awesome. And it is such a great networking um, avenue and opportunity. And it's like you said, it's lifelong. And I know um, AKA is, is, I think, much more active than others are once you sort of, once you graduate. But um, networking, you, you can never start too soon to build your network. And um, it's a great way to do it. And, and what a great story to be able to say, here's something that really worked well for you that maybe you didn't expect or anticipate, but it certainly worked out well. Absolutely. Cool. So, um, so did you actually, uh, so 
um, when you graduated FSU, did you then go uh, full time to FAMU, or um, did you did you the credits or whatever you were getting from FAMU and, and FSU kind of blended together, and you had you finished your college at once? Yeah, I finished at once, and okay. then um, my dad offered me a deal. He said, if you go straight through for your master's, he says I'll pay for it. So um, that's a great deal. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> dad <laughs> so, sounds like a really nice guy. That's awesome. <laughs> So I had just joined the sorority then. And so I was like, yeah, I want to stay in Tallahassee a couple more years. So Mm -hmm. I applied for the master's program at FAMU for journalism Mm -hmm. and I got accepted. And then I stayed there for another two years and just learned a lot more um, than I didn't get in those basic courses I took in undergrad. Mm -hmm. And um, was, that's when I was able to, you know, develop more. And then I became the editor of journey magazine, which was, or and still is FAMU's student-run publication, um, Campus Magazine, and so that's when I was able to be like, "Wow, I, I really have a passion and a desire for this," mm-hmm. and I just started, um, you know, working again with with students and staff who are my colleagues, and and it was great to just grow and learn. And I remember we used to put out covers. And people would be like, why, why would you put this on the cover or what have you? And I say, this is what we want. We want people talking about what we're producing. This yeah. is great, you know? And so you just start learning more about um, making decisions and making decisions that, you know, you feel like this could rock the boat, but I'm, I've always been, you know, big on the, big on um, pushing your ideas and, and um, maybe shocking people a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I love to engage. I, I love to engage with people. And I, and I think I definitely had that experience with Journey Magazine. Um, and then from there, I just, I met a professor whose wife knew someone at Essence Magazine. And so every time I printed the magazine, it was quarterly, I would send a copy of Journey to the lady at Essence Magazine in New York City. Don't know her, had no connection, but I would just share with her what I was doing and then I would comment at the time she was the editor in chief of essence.com. Um, and I would share with her that I was reading some of her stories and give her some input on what I thought about the stories they were sharing. And then um, I did that for an entire year. And then after that, she offered me an internship and I, I went to New York City to, to work at Essence. Wow. That, that's amazing. I mean, and you just, you know, you never know how the dots wind up connecting, but, um, you know, you looking back and seeing, you know, this is a pretty clear progression and being able to, you know, prove yourself, you know, taking on more responsibilities, putting yourself in a situation where you've got, you know, you're in a place where they're, you know, they're, they're known for journalism. Um, you're in a master's program. There's all these different things. And to have it line up like that, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Let me ask you a question about going from undergrad to graduate school or mat- for your master's. Um, how was that experience? Um, was it what you expected? Because um, I, I know like, you know, undergrad, you have people that are, you know, like you mentioned, you know, you, you didn't pick a major until you were a junior or some people come in and they're like, I'm going to be a doctor or pilot or whatever. And their head's down, they're focused, right? Master's is a little more intense from what I understand. Um, how was your experience with that? Oh man, it's definitely intense. (laughs) I was not ready for that. I think I still had the mindset of like playing around from undergrad Mm -hmm. and just kind of getting by, you know? Um, And 
I remember after my first semester in graduate school, I got that letter that said, you either ship up or shape out, <laughs> you know, or ship out, you know, yeah. shape up or ship out. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to make a decision. Um, because I was still, I still had the undergrad mindset. I wasn't mm-hmm. taking it seriously. And in my classes, there were some people who went to work after undergrad, then they came back and I realized they had a more serious mindset. Mm-hmm. They were more focused. And I just, I wasn't. And um after I got that letter, I said, okay, Laura, you got to do what you got to do. You're here. So don't blow it. And then I, I changed my mindset and I started, you know, reading and writing and getting involved and just thinking about my future. Yeah. You know? It was definitely a huge shift. And, um, but, but I would honestly say one of the best things I did because when people looked at my resume after that, they would always put the person who had the master's degree in the fold Mm -hmm. because it sets you apart from everybody else. Yeah. Now, did I need a master's degree to pursue journalism? Absolutely not. But it was that next level, that next step. And I think um, that's, what's always so important to remember is that you always want to stand out. You could be like everybody else, but why? When you have an opportunity to push yourself to, to flourish and to thrive in, in something you love doing. And so I realized that after, especially after, you know, being the editor of the campus magazine and, and, and taking that internship at Southern Progress Corporation, I thought it's time to, to go into overdrive mm-hmm. and set myself apart from everybody else because people go, are going to get a million resumes, you know, um, and, 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 and I'm actually back enrolled in a master's program now, 20 some years later. Yeah. And it's still hard work and it's still intense, but I'm in such a different mindset now. And I'm such, um, I'm so much more focused. I mean, I, I've, I'm two years in and I've gotten straight A's on everything. That was not the case 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But like you said, you know, with the right mindset and you're focused and you're in a space where you want to learn and grow, you know, you're not taking, you know, geology or calculus or chemistry or some basic stuff like this is this is things you want to do and want to get better at and and um, probably helps us to kind of keep that focus because it is you know your, your passion and your job and what you want to get better at right that's exactly right tell me a little bit about moving from florida state which is kind of a you know a broad based state school to a hbcu like famu um was your experience um i think uh just was it a richer experience for you from a social perspective or how was your, your experience there? Yeah, I would definitely say that um, it was definitely richer in that aspect. Um, You know, you can relate to people, people can relate to you. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I felt like I had that at Florida state with the sorority. Yeah. But I think outside of that, I really did not have that connection. Yeah. Uh, some of my peers. And so it was nice to actually be around people who, who kind of got you, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. and understood you. And then I also was able to see like their brilliance, <laughs> you know, there is yeah. some brilliant minds. And um, I always say that I surround myself with, with the smartest people. And I definitely did that at FAMU because those kids, like they had it together and they knew um what they wanted to do. And, you know, you ever meet the kids who, who don't study, but they still get the A. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That was not me. Um, <laughs> but it was or just me. Like, yeah. 
we had to work for what we got. I, I right. totally relate to that. Exactly. But it was just nice to, you know, be around people that, 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 that understand you and mm-hmm. um, you could relate to. And I think a lot of times my best, my best friend at the time went to Florida A&M and she was in the business program there. I would, um, you know, spend the night at her dorm, you know, hang out there sometimes. Um, it was just fun. So um, it, it's two different. You're, you're literally living in two different worlds. And people always say that about Florida State and Florida A&M. It's, mm-hmm. it's two different experiences. But I embraced both and I actually loved both. And I'm happy to have been a part of both because honestly, your world when you step out into it is not always going to be one color, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be a whole variety of people and places and, 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 and you want to make sure that you can survive in all of those environments, you yeah. know? So, so as much as I loved FAMU, it was, it was never something I was like, oh, I should have just went there. No, because the real world isn't just one race, mm-hmm. you know? The real world is everybody. And so you should just be able to get along with everybody. But then for me, that goes back to the heart. And I don't, I don't see, you know, um, race so much as I see people's hearts, you know, and I think that's what it boils down to is um, just loving people for who they are because everybody is different, but everybody does have a story. And when you take time to learn someone's story, I think Mm -hmm. that just also opens up a whole other avenue for friendships. Yeah. Totally agree. And I think, you know, even from my perspective, obviously growing up white and, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's the majority of the population here in the U.S., I think diversity is really critical to understand everyone's journey and what they go through. And, you know, I hate, I hate putting labels on anything, you know, I think it's, this is Laura and Paul having a conversation, you know, not some label you want to throw on, on somebody. And, and to your point, you know, when you start peeling back some of the just the superficial things around, you know, race or religion or sex or any other label you put on it. And then you get to the real root of who somebody is. That's when you have a real deep, meaningful conversation or relationship. And I think that's, that opens up people's eyes. It certainly did for me just around, you know, removing perceptions or any other sort of um, unconscious bias and um, really just treating people as equals. And, you know, usually it's mainly in a, in a work setting for me, but, you know, even in a social setting, you know, it's, it's great to just be able to have that diverse view of whatever, you know, when you come together for a football game or whatever the case is, you cheer that on, but, you know, just understanding people's cultures, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, our family getting over COVID and we had a great, group of neighbors that, you know, brought food over and uh, our neighbors across the street are Indian. And so they brought over some, you know, some vegetarian dishes and um, it was awesome. Like I, I sent a note back. I'm like, I need this recipe. I don't know what it is, but I loved it. And we're going to have it again, you know? So th- those things you don't normally expect, but I think if you are open um, to new experiences and allow yourself to have a diverse set of friends or um, workers or understanding is, uh, I think it makes you a much better person and makes us a much better country. That's exactly right. I agree with you a hundred percent there. So let's talk about, um, cause you, you mentioned some of your internships and you got down the, the, um, the magazine route. So for somebody that's majoring in journalism, there's so many different avenues you can go into. How did you decide um, or did life decide for you about the magazine route versus print or, um, you know, TV or broadcast or radio or whatever the case is? 
You know, um, I had mentioned earlier that I, I was always an introvert and always shy. And so TV was not an option for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I prefer to be behind the camera, if anything, just not in front of it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and at that time also the web was a thing, but it wasn't a thing, you know? And so yeah. um, I, I just naturally gravitated toward magazines, especially after having that magazine experience with, with, um, FAMU's Campus Magazine, and then um, at Southern Accents Magazine in Birmingham. So I kind of knew print was the direction I was going to go in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just absorbed everything I could during my time with those internships, you know, sat in on every meeting, assisted people. I mean, whatever I could to to embrace the environment that, that I was working in, I did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just just to be able to 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 learn more, and 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 during this time, I'm still thinking and preparing. What am I going to do after college? What's next? And so, you have to be you have to always think forward, you know, um, and pre- be preparing yourself. And so, during those internships, I was getting myself ready for what was next. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of maybe formulating a little more of your strategy, honing in a little bit about what you want to do and certainly reinforcing maybe what you didn't want to do, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What uh, What were some of the things that you enjoyed about uh, the magazine world? Uh, just kind of looking through some of the, the, the jobs you've had. You've been through quite a few different ones and um, telling different stories, but tell me a little bit about sort of your progression through the, the different groups you've worked for. Absolutely. So when I got out of graduate school, I ended up landing a, a, an internship a nine-week internship at People Magazine in New York City, mm-hmm. and that turned into a full-time job after the um, the nine weeks had ended. So, um, I mean, get this shy girl to interview a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> and not appear starstruck, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I was shaking in my boots, but I'll tell you what, it was some great ground training for me. Mm-hmm. Um, picking up my, my things, I literally moved to New York City and stayed with my dad's friend in his mom's basement um, in the Bronx for, I guess, those nine weeks, got the job full time. But it was awesome because I took a chance. And I think that's what I always am trying to impart with people is you always bet on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Take that chance. And so... Any assignment they would give me or they'd say, Laura, go interview so-and-so or, you know, go to fashion week and do blah, blah, blah. And these are things where you stay up all night. You don't go to sleep. Then when you're done, you have to file your stories. But Mm -hmm. I did it because I was building my career and I knew it was important. I was learning so much being there. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I was at People Magazine. I mean, I've done everything. I I, I chased Billy Crystal into a bathroom. I chased Matthew McConaughey down um, an alleyway. I Uh-oh. got some quotes from P. Diddy running with him on a sidewalk before he jumped into his limousine. I mean, I've done it all. <laughs> so, but it helped me. It helped me um, get stronger in terms of building my strengths. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, just being able to walk up to people and just chat them up. And they're like, who are you? What? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I loved it. Um, and then I remember at one point in my career at people, I broke a, a reality television story. There was a show called The Average Joe, and I ended up playing basketball with the, one of the guys 
who was the average Joe, Adam Mesh. And um, so funny, it was rumored that he connected with a woman and they were off happily ever after. But when I started talking to him on the basketball court, he ends up telling me, um, I got, I have something to tell you, we should talk. And he breaks the story to me that they broke up. They were never happy together. And it was so funny because <laughs> I said, you know, I work at People Magazine. This would be a great story. And so he talked to, I think, his rep at the time and um, gave him the okay. And we got on the phone. I broke that story. I ended up getting a raise after that. Wow. Yeah. So it's just connections, once again, meeting people, mm -hmm. talking to people. Um and he felt comfortable enough to share that with me. And so from there, I just realized I had something. I mm -hmm. had something. Yeah. Um, and then um, about five and a half years went by and I thought, you know, I don't want to stay in New York any longer. It's, this is too fast paced. I'm burnt out. You know, you're always on your toes. No time for relaxation. And so um, I ended up quitting and packed my bags and said, I signed up for a work abroad program in Australia to be a waitress for the summer. And I said, I'm going to get out of this journalism mindset. If I mess up somebody's order, nobody's going to real, no <laughs> one's going to care because I'm in Australia, right? No one knows me. <laughs> um, right before I was going to go to Australia, I got a call from Gannett Pacific Publications in Phoenix, Arizona. And they said to me, we have an, an associate editor position we think you'd be great for. Are you interested in interviewing? And so I was like, sure. So... I knew already in my head that I was leaving, mm -hmm. but so I didn't take it really seriously. Well, I did the interview. I took the edit test. And I think that's also something that's very important is, you know, reading, writing, practicing your skill set because those tests, they'll get you if you're not ready. Yeah. And I took the test. And then I remember the editor at the time, we did like a video interview and he said to me, you score the highest out of our top three candidates on the test. And he was like, we have to meet you. <laughs> and so um, they flew me to Phoenix, Arizona. And I ended up, um, I was interviewing for a health editor position, funny enough. And then after they all met me, they said, you're a fashion goddess. We're not putting you as the health editor. They said, we're starting a fashion magazine. We'd like you to spearhead it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so... I accepted the job. It was a nice switch. And then I worked on five community magazines at the time. Um, and though, so I used the connections that I made in New York. And one of my connections was with a friend who was Grant Hill's publicist. And at the time, Grant Hill just signed with the Phoenix Suns. And I called her up and I said, hey, I'd love for him to be on the cover. And I just started pushing and thinking of all these ideas and using my resources and using my connections. I mean, it was, it blew me out the water there. I stood out from everybody else. And in less in, in nine months, in less than a year, they promoted me and asked me to then move to Las Vegas to work on a couple of magazines they had there. Wow. So let me ask you this because, you know, your headspace coming out of New York was, okay, I'm burnt out. I want to do something different just to sort of reset my mind and sort of get, get, you know, balanced again right what was it about this um this arizona offer that rekindled your spark for journalism well it was the fact that they had offered me an editor position because mm -hmm. when i was at people magazine i was a reporter 
Oh, okay. Gotcha. And um, the fact that, you know, when you're a small fish in a big pond, you can only do so much. Yeah. But now I'm looked at as big fish in small pond and I was able to do whatever I wanted. So creative freedom and some ownership of that really made a big difference, huh? Huge difference. Huge difference. Yeah. And so I accepted, I moved to Las Vegas, never been to Las Vegas before. Um, (laughs) It's wild, isn't it? (laughs) It it is. It is wild. Um, they, they, They flew me out for a weekend and said, check it out and let us know. And I flew out there. They, they had a limo driver take me around all weekend. And I said, this is the life I'm moving to Vegas. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, once again, I knew nobody, but that's what I love about the freedom you have in your youth is to just do it. Do yeah. it. You, you never know when you'll have that experience or those chances again, mm-hmm. and you only live once. So why not? And when I moved to Vegas, I started my own column at one of the magazines and I would have probably never had that opportunity at people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you too, you know, just starting from, you know, moving from South Florida to Tallahassee, you know, you've proved yourself a couple of times where you've gone to a city, not known anybody, put some roots down, met some great people and did some really awesome things. Same thing with New York. Right. So by the time you get to Vegas, you know, you can do it. You've already That's done it right. a couple of times. Right. That's exactly right. I built that confidence. Yeah. You know? And um, uh, one of the magazines, they needed a fashion editor. So that became my title, fashion entertainment department editor. And so I was able to explore the city. Um, I had never styled a fashion shoot a day in my life, but I learned, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was able to go to all these events, build relationships with different media outlets and people and in the community. And I think that was the catalyst um, one night, my friend says, I'm going to a party. Do you want to go? And I said, no, I'm already going to an event. And she said, come on, I don't want to go by myself. And I said, all right. So she met me at my event. We went to the next event. And she says, it's a friend. It's, it's, I'm meeting some friends. It's someone's going away party. I said, okay. We finally get around to meeting the person who was going away. And I said to her, you know, what do you do? And she says, oh, I'm the editor of such and such magazine. Um, I'm leaving, moving to Costa Rica. And she said, um, I said, oh, so who's taking your place? I'd love to meet them because I was all thinking about networking, building mm-hmm. relationships. And she said, I'm leaving in a week and I don't have anyone to replace me. What do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm an editor over at Crystal Publishing, you know, for a couple of the magazines there. She says, send me your resume. And we found out that we knew the same people in New York City because I was at People Magazine and she was at Star and Us Weekly and all those. Mm -hmm. And she calls me in for an interview, literally says to me, this is perfect. You'd be great to be managing editor of 944 Magazine. I thought, I mean, I'm pretty much doing the job now. I just didn't have the title. Mm -hmm. And I was like, are you sure? You know, I, I didn't I, I, I didn't believe in myself, you know. Yeah. And then um, a few weeks later, I got the call and they they said, we're impressed with your resume. We, we want you to be the editor, managing editor of 944. And I accepted right away. That's great. And, and again, it's these these doors that open for you. You know, it's kudos to you, one, for recognizing that. Um, being in the right place at the right time through just networking and some of the things that you're trying to build your career out of. But then you've also put in the time and the education, you know, so you've got all the credentials to do the job. So it's kind of, you know, um, that opportunity is, you know, the perfect time for you and, and, you know, for you to recognize that is, is 
says a lot about you as a person and, and understanding that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think, you know, having a little faith, you know, yeah, also helps in that journey as well, because there are tons of my friends who still stayed in Florida or who did not, you know, check out different areas of the country and things of that nature. But I just was realizing that I kept meeting friends and, and, you know, enjoying what I was doing and career wise. Yeah. And I thought this is, this is fantastic. I, 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 literally loved loved the job there at 944 and then i remember um we had some family issues going on back in florida and i had to take off and um when i left i said i'm gonna go spend like a summer in europe i have some family there and i was just gonna hang out with people and right before i left i got another phone call from the division director of j school at famu at the time and she said hey, the guy who was your magazine advisor years ago was retiring and we need someone to, to help run the magazine department. Um, are you interested in coming and teaching at FAMU? And I oh, knew wow. nothing about being a professor. And I yeah. thought, I have no teaching experience, you know, but it ended up, I spoke to my mom about it and she said, what are you going to do? Go to Europe and then come back and not have a job. She's like, oh. <laughs> she's like, do it. And so I thought, okay. So I cut my trip to Europe short. I did go. And then I came and I moved, packed up and moved to Tallahassee. And um, I, I started teaching as a visiting assistant professor. And I, then I ended up being the advisor for Journey Magazine, the magazine I was once editor in chief of. <laughs> life has some strange twists as i remember you were saying earlier in our conversation about education is not for you didn't want to do it here you are coming back to your alma mater as a professor right exactly exactly <laughs> you never know how life is going to work out paul yeah. and what i love about life is that the beauty of it is you are right where you're supposed to be wherever that is mm -hmm. and um you just have to continue to um believe in yourself and push yourself, you know, and what I found being at being a professor was that I didn't love standing in front of the classroom, pointing at the board and saying, this is how to put a sentence together. This is this, this. I more so loved the aspect of mentoring my students when they came to me and just said, you know, I have a problem, Professor Downey, you know, can we talk? And just being there for them, because I would always say to them, college is so much more than just the classes. It's about life. Mm -hmm. and life experiences. And so I wanted to make sure that I grounded myself in their lives as, as that, as a, as a resource that they could count on and they could trust. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I had a great time there. We, they, they brought home tons of awards, um, you know, for the magazine, best college magazine, best student magazine from society of professional journalists. I mean, we just did a lot there. It was great. And then um, I'd probably say after a little over two years, um, Las Vegas called me back. They said, we, we started a bunch of new publications and we would love for you to come back and be managing editor. And I took the call and went back to Vegas. Wow. So hold that thought on Vegas because I want to ask you this. Because coming back to FAMU as a professor, you know, obviously you were there as a student too. What was... What, what was eye-opening for you and what did you do differently as a professor to help your students that maybe you didn't get as a student there? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I was a friend. 
And I think my professors there, they were nice and they were helpful. And I even remember there was a professor when I was there and I didn't have, my student um, loan didn't come in on time. And he wrote a personal check for me. Oh, wow. He paid, I think it was for my books or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents, once we got the, the loan money and we paid him back, but I remember him saying, you don't have to. That, that to me showed what a real professor slash friend is mm-hmm. to someone in need. Yeah. And um, so that's what I wanted to be when I went back. I wanted to give my students, this is the experience that I've had. Um, and this is what I want to give you. And so that's what I was. And until this day, I talked to so many of my former students. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with one of my other former students for about three hours a couple of weeks ago. And we just talked. And I just appreciated the fact that um, they knew that I was genuine. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to give that to them. I wanted to give a a true friendship to them. And I remember some of my colleagues would say they respond to you differently than they do us. Yeah. Like, because I actually asked them about their weekend and I actually care. Yeah. You know, I actually said, oh, what's going on? You know, um, how can I help you? Students have a pretty good BS meter. You know, they kind of know when you're bluffing and when you're genuine. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's awesome. I mean, it's, I'm sure the word got around that, you know, Professor Downey was an amazing person. Get in her class if you can, um, because it's probably not a typical experience that you would see otherwise. Do you feel like, do you feel like you had, because you had a lot of work experience before you came back? And I know there's some professors that just go straight from student into academia, you know, grad teacher, and then they kind of go through that path. Do you feel like you brought a different level of, um, teaching and experience and perspective that maybe other professors didn't have? I totally did. And I think that's what was missing. I, and I also think the, the energy yeah. and the, the youthfulness that I brought at the time um, was missing from those hallways. Yeah. And um, so I, I remember when I fir- went to my first class, like, like a young lady was questioning me. She was kind of like, you're like, you're like our age, you know? <laughs> and she was like, what do you know? And then when I listed out my resume and told, told them where I've come from and what I've done, they all just was, were quiet and just started yeah. taking notes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Passed that first test with the students and now they're just right. listening. That's great. Exactly. But that's, I think that's what they were missing because a lot of people did just go right from, you know, getting their PhD right to teaching. Mm-hmm. But I had my hands on in the field and I was very honest. I never sugarcoated things. I think I never sugarcoated corporate politics or being black in an all white environment mm-hmm. or, you know, I never sugarcoated that. And I, and people would say, Oh, you know, first impressions, you know, doesn't looks don't matter. And I would say, that's not true. Looks do matter. Mm-hmm. You know, I put people on the cover that I thought looked good. I didn't put people on the cover just because they were nice. You yeah. know, yeah. And so I was very honest with them about a lot of the choices that I had made and a lot of the, 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 the real world as we know it. And I think that's really what also helped our relationship because they were like, she's not going to lie to us. Yeah. That's refreshing to hear. Um, what a great experience for your students to do that. And then the testimony that you're still talking to some of these students even today, which is great. So, well, so, so you're um, after professor, you're, you're back to Vegas again. Um, <laughs> I know you got a few, few more things and, and I want to be respectful of your time. Cause I do want to get to your, your experience at WebMD, but just kind of walk me through from Vegas to Atlanta um, and, and how that journey went about. Absolutely. 
So I ended up staying in Vegas, um, working on about, I probably worked about on six or seven magazines. They had all these special publications. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was doing some freelancing still during the time because I always think it's important to continue to hone your skills, continue to craft, don't be complacent. You know, once again, keep moving and pushing yourself forward. And so I was doing that. And then mm-hmm. one day I got a call from Forbes Travel Guy that's based here in Atlanta. And they asked me, they were looking for a managing editor. And so they flew me out for an interview. And I always said, you know, I'm never moving to Atlanta. I'm never moving to Atlanta. And loved everything I heard about it. And I thought, I'm going to do it. And I moved to Atlanta and took the opportunity with Forbes Travel. And was literally able to travel all over the world with that company as well. So that was great because it just only built on what I had already been doing. Yeah. But it was just nice to do it on the company's dime. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the the secret for uh, for students to learn. If you can travel for work and uh, have a corporate account, it makes things a lot easier on your own pocket. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed there for a couple of years and then I had an offer from Modern Luxury Corporation um, to become their senior executive editor. And at that point, I think I oversaw, I think it was 64 magazines, but it it was not long lived. Um, There was no work-life balance there for me. And that was super important for where I was in life at that time. Mm -hmm. And so after about a month, I quit. And um, I said, this is not for me. I want something where I can have peace of mind and I'm not working till midnight and then not sleeping. Um, So I think that's something else people need to consider and keep in mind is also like, you can love a job, you can love a title, you can love the lifestyle, but you have to love living with it and who you've become. And, you know, I didn't, I was alone, you know, and I felt alone. It was, you know, cause you're at the top and you're by yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Um, I left and I freelanced for about 18 months after that. I just continued to travel and write. And and then I got an opportunity to work for another local publishing company here. And I I worked on about eight of their magazines from home improvement to fitness to neighborhood magazines, just what's going on in your communities. Mm -hmm. And did that for about three years. And that was great. And then um, the opportunity arose to work as an editor at WebMD on the company's magazine. And I I had to jump on that. And um, I've been there now. I just hit my one-year anniversary. But within that year, I have received a title change, and I've gone from editor to executive editor. Congratulations. um, That's fantastic. Thank you so much. But I, it, it all just pretty much goes back to everything I've been saying, just in terms of pushing yourself, being the best, going for it, not, you know, not being afraid and being who you are. I don't think you have to change who you are to fit into certain, to certain environments. I think you just need to be yourself. And um, that helping with that was all the experience that I had gotten throughout the years. Yeah. I, I mean, your, your resume is just, uh, just an amazing read of, of, you know, certainly opportunities, but also taking advantage of that, doing your best, you know, you've been in different, different cities, and even different, you know, markets in terms of who the magazine is, is focused on. Um, How did you decide? Or um, was it just an opportunity to to move into healthcare? Because that's, that's probably a little bit different than some of the work you've been doing in the past. Yeah, definitely different. Um, 
but and I don't think too far of a stretch because I feel like as you get older, you start coming more in close contact with certain conditions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it well. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just started, it just, it just hit home for me. Um, but I think it was a part of it. I, I started doing some research on the company and seeing what employees had to say about working there. And mm-hmm. You know, I've always been a helper and I love helping people Um, in in my private time. I do a lot of volunteering. And so that was just another way for me helping people. You know, how sometimes you'll hear people say, well, this job ain't saving lives, you know. Um, Right. One is. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so so for me, that that was a draw. And then being able to work on the magazine, the the majority of the, the staff is all on the website. But um, I get to work on the magazine and I also work on if you go into doctor's offices and you see posters and and Mm -hmm. guides and workbooks, I get to work on those as well. And so it's just nice to be able to help people. Yeah. Well, and especially so, you know, you you started right before kind of the world shut down. So you saw a little bit of before and then certainly the last, you know, eight or nine months have been very different for everybody. How has that affected what you've, what you're currently doing, and and um, how you've been able to sort of adjust to the COVID yeah. situation? I think um, our company is so forward thinking. It, it's been great because once it hit, you know, we started saying, okay, we, we've got to go digital. You know, in terms of the magazine um, and the content, when you go into doctor's offices, now people aren't going into doctor's offices. And so they're not picking things up. So now we we added QR codes to our guides. Mm. And now you don't even have to, you know, pick anything up. You can just scan the code and then you have the guide right in front of you. So we've been making a lot of tweaks to be able to still reach people and help people, um, which has been awesome. And then even our, our issue that's out right now, our January issue, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the cover and he talks about social justice in the healthcare system. And it's great. So we're also able to cover topics that mean a lot to people mm-hmm. and um, that, that, that all of America is, is dealing with, but just some others, it, it might hit you a little bit harder. So what I love about it is that we're just able to, um, reach people, but in different avenues, because you can also just go to webmd.com and pull up the issue there as well. So um, things, things are changing, but I think that it's changing and, and making us all better for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you touched on the social issues and, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been involved with social issues for most of his adult life. And, um, you know, I think it's, we're talking about COVID and how it's affected you know, certain demographics and certainly the black population has dealt with it much harder than other groups have. I think that, you know, healthcare is not as, as available. Um, they're less likely to go to a doctor when something like this comes up that people haven't really seen before can really affect things. Um, you know, housing, you know, much more density in certain cities. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, something that's that contagious can really spread quickly. And so uh, there's a lot of challenges I think that the black communities had to deal with that I think having some insight, certainly for, you know, again, white dude like myself that hasn't necessarily been exposed to that. I, you know, try to reach out to a lot of my diverse friends and really pick up on that. But tell me a little bit about what you've seen from, from your perspective, you know, whether it's at WebMD or through your communities and who you've talked to, tell me what's going on. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was, it was an eye opener for me as well, 
because I, you know, grew up in a middle-class family. So it was never like we, you know, we, we couldn't get to a doctor or didn't have insurance and things of that nature. But then as you start digging in and doing research, we even do a piece called on where are all the black doctors? And it's like a low percentage, like of, of, of African-American males are applying to medical school. And they talk about a lot of it is because they, they, they do a background check and they see, oh, you don't have good credit. Well, this is how much you're going to pay for medical school. And that just discourages people. Yeah. Even applying. And so you start just going back and pulling back all these layers. Yeah. Whoa. Or you even think about people, African-Americans saying, I'm not going to get the COVID vaccine. And then you're like, well, why not? And then you hear about the stories about the Tuskegee experiment. Mm -hmm. And um, then you're like, oh, I see. There's there's a a mistrust there between doctors and the the medical community and African-Americans. Yeah. And you just start peeling the layers back and then it just it's eye-opening. Um, but I do think there, there is hope and I do think there, there is an opportunity for change, but everyone has to get on board for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some things that um, you see that we can do in 2021 to start to, whether it's having the conversations or starting to, um, to put some change in place? Yeah, I definitely think um you have to be open-minded. And as we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, you have to get to know people. Um, you have to put yourself out there, be a friend, you know, to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And I think mm-hmm. that's so important. I, I, I did some volunteering the other day through my church. And I remember we were passing out bags of like food and, and, and stuff like that. And one lady came up to us and she was like saying that, um, she, she just lost her job. She has nowhere to live. And that's like a reality check, you know, um, yeah. we, we were in, um, an area of town where they, they were, we were in the project community and it's just like, wow, you, sometimes you just, you live in your own bubble and you don't realize what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I take small steps. I don't think you have to just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be a whole new person, you know, um, yeah. the small steps. I sometimes I bake brownies and I pack them up in little bags and I just drive around where I live in Midtown. And if I see someone homeless on the street, I give it to them. And I, you know, put water in there and a little bit of money and things of that nature, because I think that's what it starts with, Paul, is the small steps. Yeah, we have a million things going on. Yes, your career is important. Yes, the things that that matter to you are important, but also if you help other people, that that helps you thrive even more. You feel good on the inside being able to help and, and bring some light to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you know certainly the the protests, um, Black Lives Matter, a lot of the activities that were happening in 2020. I think really. Uh, um, I don't know, just crystallized some things for a lot of people. We just said, you know what, really enough's enough. There is so many things that are just like the, the, the deck is stacked against the black community in a number of different ways that, you know, as a white person growing up in the suburbs, you know, and even our education system just kind of glosses over a lot of the dark sides of the, this country. And um, I think, you know, we, we started out by saying, you know, oh, this, this isn't right. We need to change it and having some conversations, which is good. But I'm really trying to explore this year is, is what actions 
should I be taking or can I take that would be helpful that can, you know, just get beyond a conversation or saying, you know, that's terrible. Um, I'm not really a, a protesting kind of person for any aspect. I'd rather just take action and do some things. Um, but just from an allyship perspective, um, from from your side, what would you say to, you know, 55-year-old white male, what can, what can I do to help um, sort of get a, um, I, I'm going to say solution, but at least starting to move in the right direction. What, what suggestions would you have for me? Be a mentor, reach back into some of these schools with the kids in need and, and mentor somebody. You know, I think a lot of times it takes that one person you look up to, you know, even if it is from a different race or background and be able to share your experiences with them, share a little bit of um, your life with them because they might not ever have that opportunity where they, where they live, where they come from. Yeah. You know? And so being a mentor is huge. My, my high school teacher was a younger white lady and she opened my eyes to a lot, you know, just in, in writing and things of that nature. And um, I probably wouldn't have, have experienced that or learned about things without her help. Yeah. And so I think being a mentor starts first, even if it's going into the, to the local junior high or high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I right now uh, mentor one of the young ladies that I used to teach in Sunday school and I'll go visit with her. And just the other day um, we were baking cookies together and I was just like, how is school going? How are you? You yeah. know, um, just hanging out. Um, I also think giving back financially is a great way to do that to some organizations. Um you know, um, that might need the help, you know, there, there are a variety of ways to just get involved, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's okay if you, once again, if you don't know anybody, you know, um, just step out, just step out because I think you have an opportunity to make a difference, bring your family with you, you know, don't keep it as an isolated thing. Um, mm-hmm. Let, let them see what else is going on in the world and, and where you fit in in your place to be able to help. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great suggestions. Cause I think that that does, you know, give you some avenues for action and to really see your impact with somebody, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, maybe impact a million people, but you know, one or two or five at a time, you know, I think is um, a really, you know, start small and, and see the impact and the change. And I think it gets easier. And, and to your point, you know, if you mentor one, one student and you impact their lives, you may not be impacting, you know, the next five or 10, but that person you've impacted might pass along, you know, nuggets of wisdom, or even just saying, you know, like your story, for example, you know, here's somebody that grew up in South Florida, but has done some amazing things, been around the world and done some really incredible, you know, um, work opportunities and, and is still going strong today. So um, I think it's, it's probably um, don't, don't, uh, don't look at the task as being too daunting, you know, start small and, and start today. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, for me, I know definitely um, my, my faith has helped me with it all, honestly, because there's just so much going on in this world right now anyway, mm-hmm. you know, um, that could be mentally daunting and draining, yeah. you know? Um, and so you, you might, you might even feel like, can I do this job or can, should I apply for this or go for it? just go for it. And then if you don't get it, that's totally okay. Learn and find out why you didn't get it 
and get yourself ready for the next opportunity. I always like to just say, be ready all the time. So you don't have to get ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's those words are so accurate and can be applied in so many different ways. So the, um, this great feedback. I really appreciate, you know, your insight on um, some of these social issues and, and what we can be doing to help make 21 much better than 20. <laughs> so <laughs> last thing I like to ask all of my guests is uh, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Oh man, I, I come from it from two, two points, two perspectives. One is when I was younger in my career, I didn't have um, a fancy wardrobe and things of that nature. And I never really thought my wardrobe mattered because I thought as long as I'm smart and I'm doing the job and I'm doing it well, I'll, that's all that matters. But that's not true. Um, I would have changed my wardrobe and kind of upped my game a little bit more. And even though I did not have the money to buy the fancy things, the, the name brand designers, I would have done that earlier. I, I changed my wardrobe when I moved to Phoenix. And I know that definitely helped propel my, my career as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so looks matter and appearance matters. And so, you know, dress for the job um, you want, not the job you have. That would be my first point. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, I think just for me, I don't, I think sometimes you go into this world thinking I can be superwoman or superman and do anything. And then you get beat down by whatever defeats that come your way. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think you have to be superman or superwoman. You just be you. And um, for me, that means being Laura and just letting um, in everything that I say and everything that I do and everything that I put out into the world, um, let it shine light and let it be God's love, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think with that, you have the best of both worlds um, because you're able to be a, be a good human being. And that's what this world needs. And um, that, that, that's reflected in your work and in who you are. That's great advice. Uh, it, it, you know, just sort of sharing God's love, I think, takes some of the pressure off of you having to try to be somebody you're not, you know, and you mentioned before, I mean, like coming back and being a professor, you know, you were authentic, you were real, um, and it was effective. And um, I think, you know, it, it's hard being in, especially I think it starts in middle school or junior high, where you don't want to stand out, you want to blend in. And it's, it's funny to me as I've watched my kids go through that phase where they all wear the same shirts or the same shoes. And, you know, I remember doing the same thing. I was like, God forbid somebody call me out for not having Air Jordans or whatever the case is, you know. And, um, you know, then you get into college and people are, they sort of come into their own and, and you know, it's, it's less formative around, you know, looking the same or dressing the same or talking the same. Um, but it's, you know, I think as you get older, you realize that, you know, you do need to embrace who you are and be authentic. And, um, I think that frees you up to do things you want to do and to be successful at it. Absolutely. Yeah. This is great. Well, Laura, this has been a really great conversation. I really appreciate your time today. I think we touched on a lot of really great things, um, some really important social things. Um, and then your journey too. I think that, you know, for the audience to really learn that you don't have to um, just be at one company or um, be stuck in a situation where you may not be happy or you're not learning or growing. 
And I think your career has been an example of that where you've had opportunities and, you know, one has led to another and it's really been a great journey for you to be able to share um, with the audience. So thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.